0: Hi everyone. It's Melinda Garvey with the See It To Be It podcast. This week we have another great interview with an incredible role model. Stay tuned. Hello everyone. Welcome to the See It To Be It podcast. I'm your host, Melinda Garvey, and super excited as I am every week to bring you yet another incredible role model. And today is no different. We've got Leah Leach with us today, and she is doing some really, really cool stuff that I am very, very excited about. She is the founder of a women's educational nonprofit called Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. And we're going to tell you a lot about that during the show. But before we do that, Leah, welcome. We're really happy to have you. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Good. Well, we are excited to talk to you today. so... Before we kind of get started, I always like to go way, way back. And I want people are like, I can't remember that far <laughs> back. But just really, like when you were growing up, what was your big dream? What did you think you'd be doing when you grew up? The
1: first thing I ever really wanted to be was actually an actress because mm-hmm. I loved movies. Movies were really my greatest teacher. They were the way that I was learning about life. They were the way I was going on adventures that I wasn't ready to go on, you know, on my own. And the first thing that you see in a movie is the people in it. So I thought, oh, well, that's what I want to be. I want to be an actress. My father told me that I couldn't. So very much trying to, of course, please my father at that time, I looked and said, well, they've got to be other jobs within movies, right? So I settled on wanting to be either a writer or a director. And so I kind of set my sights on filmmaking and learned about filmmakers. Charlie Chaplin was actually one of my great influences when I was a kid. And it makes it sound like, oh my gosh, was I born in the 1920s? I wasn't. (laughs) But on Public Access, they showed Charlie Chaplin shorts, and there was one of the features that he did where he ate his own shoe. And my brain, I was 10 years old at the time, and my brain went, how did they fake that? That's kind of how I went what I call behind the curtain of the power Wizard of Oz. And I learned like how they faked that, and then I was hooked. I really wanted to be part of filmmaking and uh, learn those little tricks.
0: <laughs> Very cool. Well, uh, Little known fact, I have pictures of it somewhere, but when I was, I mean, I, gosh, I must have probably been like, I don't know, seven years old, maybe eight years old. I was Charlie Chaplin <gasps> for Halloween. Oh, sweet. My dad, like, my dad was super creative. Like, he was an attorney, but he had this whole creative side. I had the little black bowler hat yes. and the mustache and the white face and yes. the whole, whole nine yards. Oh yeah. Oh, I God. love it. Yeah. Yes. Oh, <laughs> anyway. Okay. So And you actually ended up getting into filmmaking, correct? I did. I did filmmaking
1: for quite a bit of time. I moved to Los Angeles where I failed miserably, (laughs) but I moved there. And I attended college until I couldn't afford it anymore, basically. You know, that deciding on how much work you have to do to be able to eat and afford rent and then school gets in the way. And so that was very interesting. So I was really wanting to make an effort in Los Los Angeles, but I didn't. And my husband joined the Army on September 11th. And that moved us out of Los Angeles. And once kind of, let's say the war subsided for us anyway, I decided to really kind of make an effort at filmmaking and make independent movies, make the movies that I wanted to make, make it with the resources that I had. So for a couple of decades, I did. I made 18 films. I had them all focused about women and they showed throughout the country, nothing like super breakout or anything like that, but uh, they were the movies that I wanted to make and I'm super proud of them.
0: Wow. That's so cool. What an important and very cool body of work. And I think that probably leads a little bit into what you're doing today. So let's dig in. Let's talk about The Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. So I want you to tell us you know, what it is and then tell us how you came up with that name. The
1: name is the easier part. So because I have my movie background, Gal's Guide to the Galaxy is a take on the movie and the book and the TV show Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I love the irreverence that the meaning of life is 42 uh, in that series because it's very much in keeping of nobody really knows the meaning of life because it's personal and because it gets to be ridiculous. It gets to be as serious as you want it to be and it gets to be ridiculous. So I loved that whimsy. And so that way it kind of tied my two worlds together a little bit. But Gals Guide is a educational nonprofit. We focus on women's history. I have two daughters and it's very much, I believe in your show. I believe in the see it to be it. You've got to be able to see somebody doing the thing that you want to do to be able to envision it for yourself. And I wasn't taught women's history in school. My daughters, to a certain extent, still are not taught women's history in school.
0: Right, and they seem to be taking things out of the textbooks these days. Certainly in Texas, there's been a lot of controversy about that. Right, exactly. If a person isn't
1: perfect, then we don't tend to learn about them. However, you know, our Steve Jobs wasn't exactly perfect, but it doesn't seem to stop anybody from making multiple stories and movies and biographies about imperfect beings. I mean, none of us are perfect. We can learn from our faults as well as our successes. So I'm very much a proponent of that. But as Gals Guide kind of started, we started as a women's group. We started just like, what obstacles do we feel are in our way? What can we do about that? How can we find balance in what appears to be a male-dominated society? You know, is it or is that our perception of it? You know, how can we really flip the script for us personally? And a lot of what it kept coming back to was role models. It was, well, the main role model in my life is my mom, and I don't want to be my mom. So now I'm out of options. (laughs) So we started looking at women's history. We started looking at, well, who was in the career field that you're interested in? Who did you learn about? Bring them to the table, and we'll talk about them. And as we started doing that, we ran into dead ends biographies that were out of print, memoirs that were never published, letters of history that were burned because nobody was keeping them and nobody thought that the women's voices were important. So that really fueled us to be, who is keeping this history? Who is preserving it? Who is sharing it with the rest of the world? Because the sharing part is actually more important. Because you can preserve something, you can hoard it, but if you're not sharing it with people, how do they know about it? So that's how we decided to actually start a library And I guess we were saddened and also kind of freaked out at the same time when we found out there was not a women's history library in America where you could browse the stacks or check out a book. Like there was no lending library of women's history. And we decided that this is a crazy idea. But we need to start this because it needs to exist in the world. We didn't want to be the first because that's sad. (laughs) But it turns out we're the first.
0: (laughs) Well, And we talk about that a lot that, you know, sometimes it's a head scratcher that we're still having first, but we've got to keep doing it so that we don't have to say that anymore. Absolutely. Obviously. So you started this lending library and it is in Noblesville, Indiana, correct? correct? Yes, it is. I wouldn't say a suburb of Indianapolis because it's its own city, but it's... It's
1: It's pretty close. Yeah, we're about a half an hour away from the metro Indianapolis area. Yes.
0: And so I guess just in terms of sort of what your vision is for this, you know, and what effect do you think it might have not only on your local community, but then, you know, is there an eye on sort of the national community, if you will, of women, you know, who need these resources?
1: Yes, absolutely. We really hope to become a destination pilgrimage where people, you know, make the effort to come to the library because it's just such a wonderful vibe that is actually happening in the library. That's the one thing that people are talking about the most is that it's such a welcoming vibe that's in there. Our plans are to keep the doors open, to keep it a destination pilgrimage, but also to grow. Our role model is actually the Glasgow Women's History Library that is in Scotland. They started in very small locations. They were attached to a university at one point. They were attached to, I believe, an arts organization at one point before getting their big standalone space. And so we're looking to grow. We're kind of like a toddler right now and we are growing as the community and of course, as our book collection grows too. We have over 1600 books. We decided to start Physical books first, and a lot of people in a digital world are like, why would you start with physical books? The print is dead. Well, the reason why is because a lot of these physical books have never been digitized. So if we want the digitization, if we want to be able to see the e-books and we want these books to be able to be online, we have to find them first in physical form and then get the permissions to be able to digitize them. Also, I personally love physical books. I still really do. I love the tactile nature. I love the pile on my nightstand of these are the books that I'm going to be reading. So the expansion is being able to digitize things, being able to have a database so that people can reference it around the world. What we have learned in the library and apply it to the online universe first.
0: So tell us about the support or maybe the, the lack of support or sort of what happened when you started gelling this idea? You know, was it an outpouring of support? Did you have some naysayers? What was that like?
1: It was a lot of crickets at first. (laughs) I was like,
0: I don't get it.
1: What? We have a library. I don't understand why. Yeah. That was the part that was very, very weird because I had this idea and I thought it was quite big. I thought it was quite crazy. And when I approached my team, like I even approached them one at a time because like I was ready for one of them to be like, Are you nuts? There's no way we could open a library. And so when I would talk to them one by one, they would be like, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah, let's do that. I don't know how to do that, but let's figure out how to do it. So the team was totally behind it. So we came up with a plan of attack. We put out press releases and I was like, "Ah, I can't wait. There's going to be mayor's offices just calling us saying, I've got a free spot. I want to be the first place to have a women's history library. Like I just was wishful drinking really at that point. (laughs) The amount of first was going to be incredible. It was 16 months of a lot of, I don't get it. What do you mean a library? why women's history, you know, or good luck. Let's see how far you get with that. That's what a lot of it was. So we were having events at kind of like pop-up locations. We would go to restaurants and we would have like pop-up events. We did farmer's markets and things like that. And so what we decided to do is like, okay, fine, let's do a pop-up location. Let's do a full-on library for the month of March because March is Women's History Month. It is our biggest month of the year for us. It's what we do. 365 but it's the biggest month where people are looking for what we do all year so it's like okay let's set up the library let's show people what we're talking about in real life in photographs and they'll get it and then they'll be like this needs to stay so we were trying to raise money for a pop-up location and it was again a real struggle to try to be like it's just for one month you know support us support us we ended up getting on pantsuit nation i thought well let me share my story Here's the amazing thing of the behind the scenes of the Pantsuit Nation thing. I decided to share the story and I was sharing it that we weren't going to make it because at that point, our fundraiser was almost done and we didn't have enough money to be able to rent a place and I was going to have to admit failure. And so in my post, I said, we probably won't raise enough money, but it was important for us to try anyway. And we're going to try next year and we're going to keep trying. Because this idea has value. So I submitted that. And of course, I had a link to the fundraiser in it <laughs> <Of course. laughs> thinking, okay. well, maybe somebody will, you know, like feel really sad that it's not going to happen and help out. I got back from the admin at Pantsuit that you can't have a link. You can't have a link and you can't say what the organization is. And they just say, check my profile. And I'm like, you know what? That's cool. But the day that it came back to me that I had to rewrite it and take out the links was the day we were offered a super affordable location. And so everything changed. And it was, we had enough money to open for three months at that point. So I'm like, okay, we can be open for three months with this really cute location and they're offering it to us and this is going to be great. I changed it to, I thought it wasn't going to happen. Then it did happen. This is amazing. Still fight for your dreams. Still go for it because you never know when the world is ready for you. That posted and it went crazy. People found us through every little niche and corner, and we are now funded for over a year
0: just because of that. Yes. That is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you.
1: It went from crickets to, you know, just a whirlwind of cheers and celebration. And I'm like, there's everybody. I was wondering where they were. (laughs) So sometimes it just takes a while. You got to be in it to win it, though. You never know.
0: No, that's amazing. (laughs) Thank you. I'm very lucky. (laughs) You know, I just think this is interesting just from a historical perspective. You know, I'm sure that there's so many women, but is there anybody that stands out that you found in this kind of journey of looking at history that you're like, seriously, this woman is not represented in our mainstream history? Yes. I have one
1: that is my go-to exactly for that, and it is Sister Rosetta Tharp. Have you ever heard of Sister Rosetta Tharp? I have not. She invented rock and roll. And she, exactly, right? Exactly. Not the Beatles? (laughs) Uh, Not the Beatles. (laughs) Way before the Beatles. Sister Rosetta Tharpe, was a bisexual black woman who was a gospel superstar. So she started at the age of five singing in church with her mom and she would play multiple instruments and she would sing her heart out. She went on tour along with her church singing and she really, really loved singing. She was absolutely charismatic at it. She moved to New York City where she got a record deal as a gospel singer. She started going on tour and blending together blues News and gospel. And let's just say church folk really, really didn't like that. (laughs) She would say the words rock me in a way that was, let's just say a little saucy, a little, you know, not secular. You know what I'm saying? And coming Um, from a nun. Correct. Exactly. Well, she wasn't really a nun. It was kind of like a nickname. Yeah. The sister sister is more of a nickname because she's always in church. Yes, exactly. That would have made it really problematic for part of her (laughs) life. But yeah, but she kept blending things together. And then the girl got an electric guitar. And she got an electric guitar and was touring around, and one of the stories is that a young man named Elvis Presley came to see her perform and was absolutely captivated by the way that she played guitar. And the ironic thing is Sister Rosetta Thar, when asked, how do you play guitar like a man so well, she said, uh, ain't no man played no guitar like me. <laughs> <laughs> And then ironically, when Elvis Presley, when they said, you know, who are your influence, he says, "Uh, ain't nobody an influence on me. So they very much had like the same kind of vibrato and essence of who their brand and their character was, Elvis and Sister Rosetta Tharp. Sister Rosetta Tharp was lost to history. I
0: mean... Not even in the rock and roll, isn't there like a Hall of Fame or something in Cleveland? Or- there is. She was given an
1: honorary inductee only a couple of years ago as an early influencer. People still in the rock and roll industry can't decide who invented the electric guitar. I mean, everything's highly contended, yeah. but the problem is, is I can do math and I can look at release dates. And so a lot of times they'll talk about different albums that were released and what date it was released. Sister Rosetta Tharp was doing this as early as 1938. And if you look at the musicality of what is in the music, It is very much the early onset of rock and roll. If you listen to it, if you listen to her, she left everything on the table. She gave you rock and roll. She's like sweating and crying and, you know, every essence is in her being of rock and roll. And that's where we got it from. And she does not get credit for it. And she should. So I'm very much a a cheerleader of Sister Rosetta Tharp. There's a brilliant book called Shout, Sister Shout that I highly recommend. And there also was a BBC documentary about her too. She influenced Bob Dylan, said a lot of people picked up an electric guitar after seeing her play in the 60s in London. You know, the Beatles were already playing at that time, but...
0: <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. Tell us a little bit about like some of the things that you have planned, you know, coming up now that you're open, now that, you know, you've got your space for a year. I mean, for our listeners who might want to get some gal pals together and do either a road trip or a girls weekend in Noblesville, tell us what you guys got going on.
1: We are building our glorious schedule because we just opened a week ago. (laughs) And that was the you know the last. It's like oh my goodness, we got to buy bookcases and we got to figure out you know the organization of the space and all that kind of good stuff. We are going to be scheduling author talks, discussion groups, book clubs, and a lot of you know one time only events, which are going to be fantastic. Right now with the health epidemic, it's a little bit interesting on a, as far as public outing, but we're looking long term and we're looking at keeping those doors open and keeping the event super interesting. We've done craft events in the past. We even started doing like kind of snarky cross stitching.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember my mother when she would go to her Ridge Club, they actually called it and Bitch. Because yes! They would all bring their needle point and then they would just bitch about their husbands. Right?
1: Correct. We always say, do you feel stabby today? Because it's really fun just stabbing something 10,000 times that, you know, can't press charges. So that's really nice. <laughs> yeah, we do crafty stuff. We do book stuff. We will even have workshops as well of how to take these women's history stories and have them be like a guide map, a rule book, a foundation for your life. Because these stories are amazing, but it's how do you digest it? How do you take that along with you for the rest of your journey? And I think that's the really important part because I don't think history is taught right. I think it's taught with names and dates and it is so much more than
0: that. It's stories. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, as we're closing up here, I'd love to do just like a quick little speed round with you so we get to know more about you personally. Sure. What's your morning routine look like? Uh, My morning routine
1: is try really hard to not hit the snooze too many times. I really love that snooze button get my daughters off to school, consume as much coffee as I possibly can, (laughs) and then basically start looking at emails, social media, start building that to-do list. And the great part of my day now is I get to go into a women's history library. And it's amazing to be in there. So that is...
0: And I love the smell of library. Oh, it's my favorite it's like smell. That, that is one thing I miss about going to the public library. That smell. Yes, we
1: get books donated. A lot of our collection is donated, and some of them come in, and I'm like, "That's the smell. That's that old, old okay. book smell." It's I'm weird, but I love it.
0: <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So, what are you currently reading or listening to? What I am
1: actually reading right now is it's called Feeling Loved. We are doing Women in Science Month is what our focus is. We have like a little mini focus every month. But Feeling Loved is the science and nurturing of meaningful connections and building lasting happiness. And it's been extremely insightful so far. And that is what I have been reading.
0: Sounds awesome. So last question. What's one thing you can't live without?
1: My kids. (laughs) I should say books because you know that would be more on brand. Of, but honestly, I, I always feel like people are like, oh, you've done so much. I haven't done a lot until I had kids, believe it or not. Up until 30, I really wasn't trying. But once I had my first daughter, I realized, I am the biggest role model in her life. And oh, that sucks. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. They watch me just as I watched my parents and I want them to conquer the world. I want them to fight for their dreams. I want them to stand up tall. They can't do that unless they see somebody else do it. So it kicked me in the pants. It's like, I need to be the role model that I didn't have, that I want them to have. And I want them to do whatever they do so that I can support them completely 100%. So it has to be my kids because they keep me going. When they see that I have a bad day and that things didn't work out well, i turn to them and be like, yeah, see, it doesn't always work. It's not always perfect. Sometimes there's like you all hope is lost. Let's see what happens tomorrow. You know what I mean? So they're lovely.
0: <laughs> very, very cool. Um, can you let our listeners know where they can find more information about you, where they can find information if they have a book to donate and where they can give their treasure and donate some cash money? Keep those doors open. Go to
1: galsguide.org. That is our website. You can sign up for memberships. You can donate books. You can check out our collection and see what our events are. So galsguide.org is our glorious website. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Leah. This has just been delightful. I'm so excited for you and I do mean it. I'm going to come see you. So I will definitely let you know and thank you for doing what you're doing. You are just an incredible role model. And I appreciate it too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the See It To Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week and check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? Reach out at onthedotwoman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.